Welcome to The Founders. This is the podcast where we dig into the startup stories of some of the most exciting and innovative businesses by speaking to the founders themselves. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And in this episode, we're speaking to Canopy and Stars co-founder, Tom Dixon. Launched in 2010, Canopy and Stars is a curated site hosting a collection of unique places to stay outdoors for luxury camping, glamping, and cabin stays. Was there anything that you were particularly keen to find out from, Tom? It was really interesting to find out, given that Tom's business, Canopy and Stars, finds places that are unique in the UK for people to go and stay. It was interesting to find out about the COVID pandemic's effect on the business. Um, obviously, it increased the number of UK stays, and it was really interesting learning about the further impact that that had on Canopy and Stars. From chatting to Tom, and you'll you'll hear this throughout the conversation, it was clear that integrity and authenticity is not only key to Canopy and Stars, but him himself, Tom, that you can hear it in his answers. It's really important to him. Um, he also shared some interesting thoughts on Airbnb as well. Um, and because we, we we asked, is that something that you keep? And I only had a really interesting uh, answer to that. Is there anything that you think business owners uh, are going to learn from Tom? I think one thing that's interesting to know about Canopy and Stars is that every single one of the locations on that platform is hand-picked and almost verified by the team at Canopy and Stars. So there's things that you can learn from Tom in this conversation about how you can build something with integrity that people can become loyal to. So this is the co-founder of Canopy and Stars, Tom Dixon. Enjoy. So Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on it. So you're the co-founder and director of Canopy and Stars. Do you want to give a brief overview of what Canopy and Stars is and who it caters for? Absolutely, yeah. So Canopy and Stars, uh, we inspect and select uh, the most incredible places to stay in the great outdoors for those in search of a life more wild. So for us, it's all about getting people into nature and staying in amazing places. And that could be a treehouse or a cabin or any other kind of unusual structure. We're all about this creative uh, approach to uh, holidaying in nature. But what I would also say is it's not just about the structure of the space. We're very much about the connection to the wider experience that sits around that space. That's really what we market is nature. Brilliant. And before we dive further into Canopy and Stars, we kind of wanted to talk a little bit around the lead up to this, because previously you'd worked as a business unit leader at a creative and communications agency. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I, I've kind of had two careers in life. Uh, one was in advertising. I think I always wanted to work in the creative industries. It was either that or or something to do with the environment. I studied geography at uh, university, and but I've always been really drawn to, to the creative industries. So I went into advertising and I really enjoyed that. I, I love the sort of process of, of creativity and surrounding myself um, by creative people. That's who I tend to sort of gravitate towards. So I really enjoyed that. But I think that what I recognized I was perhaps missing, and this is after about sort of 10 years, was doing something a little bit closer that in terms of alignment to my passions and interests and, and my values as well. So I um, love travel, always have. I have a real interest in um, ethical business and, uh, and sustainability. And so um, for me, there's always been this sort of draw towards travel, the opportunity to work in the travel industry um, and for a brand and business that I really believed in. And from a values point of view, uh, I felt very connected to um, was was a huge sort of draw and motivation for me. Naturally, you've got this huge passion for travel and adventure. And there are a lot of people who share that passion. What was the, the difference 
and I should say, if you know, if you're working a long time in the advertising industry, it can be an industry that can afford you the ability to be able to go and travel and see different parts of the world in your in your free time. What was the difference between just having that as a passion and then wanting to use it as a way to enable other people to uh, travel themselves and find unique places? What was the reason that you decided to to turn it into something for everyone else and not just for yourself? That's a good question. I mean, if I think about my own personal motivations, it's a lot of fun. I mean, what could be more fun working, you know, and this could be true of, a, of working in a, for an advertising agency, working on a travel brand is, that's a pretty cool client. Holidays are some of the most precious things. They're the things that we all look forward to. We put such a high expectation on holidays, even the process of planning a holiday. Um, there's research that suggests that's more enjoyable for some people than the holiday itself. So we put a lot into our holidays. We work incredibly hard and we expect a lot from our holidays. And I'd say nowadays we expect even more. So um, this is something that's quite important to people, especially when we're all busy and stressed and running around. So it feels like uh, a real privilege, actually, to be um, helping people to experience something that I believe in Canopy and Stars is really special, um, has huge value. And then the flip, so that's in terms of like the guests and, and what they're going to get from having these sort of escapes in nature. But then there's also the um, the owners. So there's another side to this, and that's all of the owners that are setting up these places. These are not corporates. We, we work with independent small uh, businesses, landowners, um, farmers, and we play a really important role in helping them to live a kind of life that they want to, which is also a life more wild. It's a slightly more alternative way of, of living. And uh, so there's, there's that sort of like two sides to the, to the benefit of, of Canopy and Stars. It's, it's helping owners to do what they want to do and to, to live in the kind of way they want to. And then it's helping guests to, to access nature, which is what they really need. So I think for me, those were the sort of um, drivers behind why I wanted to sort of play a deeper role in, in all of that than just sort of personally enjoying it myself. Looking at Canopy and Stars as a whole, it sounds like there is multiple moving parts in order to get what you've built to the place that you have. Like you mentioned, you've got individual owners of lands and farms that are, that are the people that are hosting these uh, places that they're able to stay on site. You've actually then originally got to go and find them. Um, hosting them on site and having a booking system is another thing that needs to be solved. I think in 2022, those things are still difficult, but definitely easier than they were back in 2010. When you were tackling all of these initial things, when you were starting up the business, what was that like? You know, Where did you start and how did you get things off the ground initially? Yeah, you're, you're so right about how those things are much easier to do today. Um, when we started, I think the, the key thing about our business, like most businesses, is relationships and sort of creating those relationships with our owners. If we didn't have the owners, then we didn't have a business. We didn't have places where people could go and stay. So before we had a website, it was, it was a great time, just sort of driving around the country, visiting owners, chatting to them, staying at those places. We inspect and select everywhere we represent. And uh, so that's a big part of it for us. And a big part of our product is the owners and the experience, the welcome that they provide to people. So if we don't know the owners, then we don't know that this is going to be a great experience for our guests. So we spent a lot of time talking to them. Um, we didn't have anything to, to show. We had a, a vision and a dream and uh, an idea of what we wanted to create. Actually, um, my sales pack, as, a, as I remember, was um, it wasn't really a sales pack. It was a, it was a sort of this leather notebook that um, was a sketchbook 
uh, of ideas. And this is before Pinterest, probably. I'm sure it was before Pinterest. That would have made it a lot easier. Um, it was just little cuttings of spaces and types of and drawings of things because we didn't really have anything to show anyone. So we, what we wanted to do was sell this sort of idea of what a canopy and stars holiday would be like. And as I said, that's more than just a cabin or a gypsy caravan or whatever it might be. It's all of those experiences that, that exist around that. So that's what I took around. And I do remember one person once saying um, when they saw this little book that, wow, you've really got into my head in a good way. Kind of, you know, this is what I'm imagining. This is what I'm seeing. And it really helped to sort of bring it to life. And then the other thing, you know, in, in terms of sort of like technology and where that was always is, I mean, I'd say we've always been a deeply human brand. And that hopefully comes through in our uh, communications, whether that's social media or newsletters, um, certainly in terms of our customer service, we make human-based decisions. So, you know, what feels right will be right. But it was really important to us in the early days that we we spoke to our guests and, and continues to be. If you don't if you don't have that connection to your guests, how do you know that you're really sort of delivering something of, of value to them? So we intentionally uh, chose not to have a booking system when we launched so that we would actually be talking to guests. This was our sort of like um, launch period. Quite quickly, obviously, we were we were already developing the booking system at that point. But at launch, we didn't have a booking system, and it was quite scrappy. I've got to say, um, it was uh, there was a lot of um, interesting uh, workarounds, manual workarounds. But yeah, we wanted to talk to people, so we actually wanted people to call us and uh, and talk about what they wanted to book, and we wanted to get emails, uh, and that really helped us to sort of get this really deep understanding of who our guests were. And then obviously things grow and you need to, when you're looking at scale, you have to uh, sort of improve all of your systems and processes and things. But at first, um, I think that probably the most important thing that we focused on was understanding our, our guests, understanding our owners and building relationships and really investing in those relationships. A really interesting thing that you mentioned there was about your your business is built on these locations where you can stay that are owned by other people and selling that vision must have been very difficult when you've got nothing else to show at that moment in time. And I think you're right, it probably does in those moments rely on the ability to put a picture in someone else's head and get them to buy into this vision that you've got. Do you remember what that pitch was or how how you managed to sell that vision to them? Um, I think that we were probably talking to people that were sort of already converted, I suppose, as in, you know, they were on the path to wanting to live in a more alternative and sustainable way. Uh, they're rural and they're looking to to have alternative income streams. And so I think that for them, uh, they all have an appreciation for nature. So they they recognize that they live somewhere beautiful. Maybe sometimes you might take it for granted if you do live somewhere beautiful. But I think what we were really doing is opening their eyes to the fact that there was huge value in what they'd created or could create. So they may already have a cabin or a converted stables or, or whatever else it might be. There weren't huge numbers of tree houses and things like that back in those early days. In fact, you know, one of our first spaces was a, was a landowner where we actually took a commercial, we, we sort of, here's a business model for you developing a tree house. And you know, it's gonna cost you 150,000 pounds, but this is the return that you're going to get. And they bought into it. They're like, yeah, let's, let's go for it. But back to those other landowners, it's almost sort of, I think glamping has been brilliant in helping people to, uh, certainly if I think about farmers, to make farms more viable by providing an extra revenue stream for a patch of land that may have low agricultural value, yet huge natural value, either in terms of its biodiversity or its sort of 
aesthetic and uh, you know the, its recreational value. So we were kind of tuning people into the fact that um, that little pocket of woodland at the end of your drive would be a magical place for someone to go and stay. And people actually want to go and stay there or will want to go and stay there. And we're going to make that happen. And we're going to build this brand that's not just about places to stay, but about getting into nature and all of the value that that brings. And I'm assuming once you've sold that vision, they've bought into it, you've got places to stay. Now I'm assuming those are on the website and people, like you said, they, they had to call to book. Is that right? So there wasn't a booking system. How long did that last before you actually got a booking system in place? So we kind of kicked off Canopy and Stars as a concept in summer 2009. And then we launched the website in March 2010. We were very, very lucky. But kind of like first, we didn't invent glamping. The word was out there. I think on, when you look at Google data, there's a little blip of glamping in 2007. Um, so there was something going on. And then it kind of uh, disappears. Uh, and then from 2010 onwards, you can start to see its prominence more as a term, which is you know when we launched, and I, and I guess we were part of that, but, um, but not exclusively. There were others. But yeah, so we launched in Easter 2010. And I can remember at the time, there was just two of us. There was myself and Chris Elms, who still works with uh, Canopy and Stars. And uh, we were in this um, sort of co-working space in central Bristol with, uh, uh, it was it was an interesting place to be, but um, fun looking back. Uh, there would be things like African drumming workshops going on outside of uh, our, our little office that had a fake palm tree in it for some reason, and not a lot of else. Um, but so we launched and we'd, we'd spent sort of, um, Almost like Chris, in fact, did a kind of crazy 48-hour stint of putting content onto the website. I think I went home at four in the morning or something. This is you know before we're launching with 10 places. But thanks to Emily, uh, who um, does Canopy and Stars PR, so she's had a Canopy and Stars PR, we got the front cover of the Guardian Travel Supplement, which was a major coup for us. And we were, we were really excited about this. But for some reason, Chris decided to go on holiday, probably because we'd had this big push of building all this content and putting these 10 places onto the website. He was on holiday the day that we had this coverage come out and the phones went a bit mental. And um, and on that day, it was really just me, but um, it was brilliant. So we were already taking bookings and we we're thinking, wow, this is going to be a success. We already had plans to build the booking system, but we were a little bit away off that. But it felt manageable. So yeah, I think the booking system probably came maybe two or three months after after launch. I mean, it's essential. I mean, there's no way you could do today what we did back then. I mean, it just wouldn't work. And I think, you know, I guess there's a, a sort of recognition of, of how things have all moved on and what customers' users' expectations are around technology and things. You just, you just couldn't survive if you didn't have online booking. And you said before that that early communication with the customers was quite important to you. Why was that so important? What information were you getting from them? Well, we were learning what they wanted to book and why. And that really influenced how we then were able to grow the collection. We've always been in a really fortunate position when thinking about how we grow the collection by looking at the data, who's booking what and where and, and everything else. So we can sort of like manage supply and demand geographically, as well as, you know, types of experiences that people want. But in those early days, without that contact, um, you know, what do you think about you know, these places and why have you picked that one? We we're actually able to have conversations with them. It's like continuous market research. And that was always feeding back into how the website developed. Every single conversation was absolutely critical and hugely valuable. And uh, I think we've always had that sort of mentality of, of wanting to learn and listen and uh, yeah, really sort of take on board any feedback. You know, We might think we know, but we don't know as much as our customers do. 
obviously, I think a lot of the, especially when when I was looking at the website, a lot of the draw for me personally was the fact that all of these places, there's a certain quality and a certain feel that you get from all of the available places to stay. You can tell that it, there is a certain level of quality that looks like is going to be um, assured. How do you find these new places to stay? If you're finding new places and adding them to the site, how are you finding them? And also, are you still going to people and pitching to them saying, this is actually a great opportunity, you should invest in this, or is it just finding new places? Uh, yeah, it's a real mix. I mean, we're very fortunate in that we have a huge amount of sort of inbound leads. So new owners, either with a little bit of land, or maybe not even with land, with a desire to purchase land, uh, who approach us, how can we make this happen? And uh, we're really happy to be part of that journey. In fact, um, it's something that we take huge pride and, and satisfaction in, is helping someone to realise their vision for the kind of space that they want to create. So in our team, we have a um, consultancy offering, a, a business development team, where we work directly with owners to help them to create spaces that we know guests will love, that will be successful and therefore successful for the owner and also for us too. So that's one side of it where we're actually actively trying to create more new special places that we will then market. And then the other side is where people apply to us. We actually accept less than 20% of the places that apply to join. And that's it's quite a high number. I think, in fact, um, last year it was more like 14%. The reason being, there's been huge um, growth in the market and a lot of divergence. And what people consider to be glamping um, can range from anything from a big holiday park where they may have 10 fairly generic cabins or pods in a row. And that might be considered glamping by some people through to an incredible treehouse um, set on its own in, uh, by a lake with just complete privacy and, and, and relative luxury. So there's a lot of divergence in the market. And we're really interested in the bespoke and the creative and the um, something that feels really authentic, where there is this incredible connection to nature. And you can tell so much from some photos, but there is uh, you really do need to um, do much more sort of digging to find out why it's a really special experience and why it would feel right for us. And um, and the final endpoint for that, obviously, is the is the visit. We don't just sort of look at them on a website. We don't just talk to them on the phone. We actually want to go and stay in these places because it's only when you stay in a place do you really get the the, the whole experience. You understand what it's like to be there as a guest. Um, you know, where does sunrise and um, what's it like to sort of cook outside on the fire? And um, you get that sort of deeper connection to, to why it's a, a special place. And that's really what then feeds into our marketing. So if we don't go and visit places, how can we really sort of sell those places to our guests? And I think at this stage, you've obviously built up quite a strong reputation for yourselves. But in the early days, how do you build that reputation as a brand? Do you think a lot of it was to do with the article that was released and the feature that you got in the, the newspaper? Or what went into building that initial brand reputation and trust with customers? I think we've always been really careful about who we work with. We turned down some big offers of brand partnerships if it didn't feel like a right fit if their ethics weren't aligned with ours or if the product just if it was just irrelevant and it was just going to be an on-pack selling a product that had nothing to do with the outdoors or our or our value set then then we'd turn it down and uh, there were some pretty big decisions in the early days we've always been about organic growth there's never been a massive pot of cash to fund this and um you know, when someone comes to you sort of offering hundreds of thousands of pounds for a, a brand partnership, then there could be a situation where you might be tempted to make um, what would turn out to be the wrong decision. But we've always been very, very clear on that and really stay true to our values. 
And uh, it's always been the case that you turn down one opportunity and another much more aligned opportunity comes along, um, you know, a month or two later. And you're like, yes, I'm really glad we did that. Um, so um, we did do a, a number of sort of partnerships in the early days. That was a good good way of getting reach. Um, and then I think we've always had this real focus on not being a platform for just selling cabins and tree houses, being a brand and uh, and building a brand. And that that's all about the content and the stories and, and authentic stories, real stories, stories about the team, stories about our owners, bringing the whole proposition to life. And that that proposition is more than just somewhere to stay. It's that connection to nature. So we've always really invested in that. And, and I think it's put us in good stead because we're not just a sort of commercial platform for selling something. We're, we're offering a lot more. I hadn't actually realized the, the length of time that Canopy and Stars has been going for and that you've been present in market for because I think for myself and potentially like many other people, when COVID happened and lockdown happened and we were unable to go away abroad, naturally everyone's attention turns into where we can stay within the UK. They look for staycations, unique places within the UK. And they almost wanted to get that same experience and that same feeling that you could get from going on a holiday abroad from somewhere in the UK that wasn't just like uh, an, an apartment somewhere, um, for example. And so assuming that you experienced that kind of explosive growth throughout COVID, how did you deal with that? How did you deal with the growth uh, and, and the aftermath of that? Think we're probably still recovering um or certainly some people on the team it was it was a crazy period there were it, it's sort of like multiple sort of tranches of different demands and challenges so the, the first was obviously all the date swaps and refunds which was just insane our approach was uh which again i think really put us in good stead was to just take what felt fair and to do the right thing and so we were very generous with owners and guests in terms of how we approach that because it felt like the right thing to do. So always trying to find a happy uh, solution to those conversations, but they're still difficult conversations because it, you know, it's really tough times for everyone. Um, there was a lot of um, people all just pitching in, doing uh, suddenly it, the, the most important team in the whole business was um, absolutely the customer service team. So the people dealing with guests and owners. And so people were pulled across from other teams uh, to, to just really sort of... Um, beef that team out um, to cope with the, just the insane level of demand and volume of, of noise. And then we sort of shifted towards this, uh, as soon as you could stay, then people wanted to stay. Um, you're absolutely right in, in terms of what people were looking for uh, at that time, which was time in nature and an experience in the UK. And, uh, and I think that's definitely what, um, that's what we were talking about earlier. That's really what we provide. If you look from a holiday to sort of you know, have a sort of a change of outlook and to be transported somewhere, and that's often what people look for in a, in a holiday. You really don't need to do that by getting on a flight and, and rushing around um, a city, um, looking at all of the attractions, and um, that sort of feels quite hectic. Um, you can completely be transported to somewhere different, but just in nature, and actually ten miles away from where you live. That's been a really interesting observation: is how. People are now booking Canopy and Stars holidays that are much, much closer to home, literally within 10 miles of where they live. Because for them, it doesn't matter. It's not about how far you travel. It's what that kind of experience that you're going to get from that. 
And for us, it's not just that staying in that cabin. It's all of those things that you can do on in the locality. It's not, and it's also not about going off to you know tourist attractions and parks and things like that. It's it's about sort of being in nature and doing some of the simple things in life that really add value. So you know, cooking on a campfire or looking at the stars, whatever it might be. Those those have have huge value. Yeah, so it was a really uh, interesting period of flips from uh, one moment we're just dealing with huge amounts of cancellations and date swaps and refunds. And then suddenly there'd be a change in legislation. And you know, we were constantly updating our FAQs of you know what the COVID laws were and rules were. And in the end, I think we, um, we sort of came to the conclusion that things were so unclear that we just needed to be um, create some clarity for ourselves and our owners. So we, were, we started to almost sort of just develop our own um, set of guidelines and uh, because it felt like we couldn't wait for government guidance on everything because it was that, it was guidance. It wasn't really, it wasn't particularly binary. So uh, we just needed to provide as much clarity as possible for people. And then, yes, huge growth. And, um, and we've kind of been riding that since um, I think one of the things that we recognise is that all of those trends that, you know, you mentioned a couple of them, time in nature, well-being, ethical business, we were seeing that they were growing, experience not things, those those kind of macro trends, they were all growing in 2019. And then when COVID came, they all just accelerated. And so we're in a pretty fortunate position in that we we delivered those things. We delivered time in nature, we delivered experience not, not things, and we were an R and ethical business. And so um, we've been um, able to, to sort of enjoy those trends accelerating importance for people. And so the last couple of years, so 2021 was our best ever year as a business. And 2022 has been our second best ever year, and um, we're forecasting more growth, um, even you know with the economic outlook that we have at the moment. It feels like what we provide continues to have huge value, and it's something that people want to continue to invest in. That was going to be my my next question, actually, is that have you seen that kind of demand sustained even after the the world has opened back up? Because I think it is one of those things. Once you go on an experience like that, and you realise that you can you come back just as if not more relaxed and more fulfilled for a third of the cost of you might have spent that you might have spent getting your flights and travel and etc i've definitely found myself doing more staycations in the uk and exploring more of the uk have, is it something that you've seen sustained after the world's opened back up yeah absolutely i think yeah like like you said yourself you recognize that you can get something really important from that stay in the uk uh, and that's rest, relaxation, um, exercise, all of the things that we, we're much more tuned in to what makes us happy and healthy. And, and I think a, a break in nature um, is hugely important for our mental health as well as our physical health. And sometimes what we need most from a holiday is um, to slow down, to stop, to do nothing, to reconnect with what's important in life. And that may be who you're there on holiday with or, or nature or just some time to think, uh, some time to be creative, to read. Um, all of those things are possible um, on a Canopy and Stars holiday. One of the things that I wanted to ask, just on the back of what you were talking about there, Alex, on, you know, you saw an influx in our, well, bookings just because of, like you say, people are now looking for experiences, not things, and COVID will have accelerated people looking for that. And one of the things I wanted to ask was more around long term, how Canopy and Stars stays competitive Obviously, I think in more recent years, people who are looking at holidays no longer just do the the standard thing of book a hotel, book a flight, off we go. Um, they might book an Airbnb, for example. How do you view someone like Airbnb? How do you stay competitive against them as they start to look at things like staycations, for example? Yeah, um, interesting. We often get asked about Airbnb. And I think 
the bigger they get, the better for us, in a way. We're all about curation and quality and experience and something that feels authentic. And um, the genesis of Airbnb about living like a local and meeting local people. I mean, as we all know, whatever percentage of, of the top performing Airbnb places are, are all owned by um, companies. They're not owned by individuals. They're, they're, they're owned by companies that own you know hundreds and hundreds and thousands of properties. And it's the tyranny of choice. There's just too much there. If um, Airbnb back in the days, you could find some, and you can still find some really cool places, but there's just so much. You're just wading through endless, fairly bland looking places. And we're the complete um, opposite of that. It's all about curation. We've never had a desire to be the biggest. Um, it's always been about quality for us. And if we can continue with that quality, we know we'll have amazing loyalty from our guests and from our owners because we'll deliver them good business. So one of the sort of um, more marketing metrics that we, we look at and are really interested in is our net promoter score. And it's 88, which is super high. And that's all about curation. As soon as we drop the curation, we're on a path that we just frankly don't want to be on. That's not what we're about. We're, we're about really trying to be that, that almost that filter. If you want a holiday in the outdoors, if you want that kind of experience in the outdoors, then we've already filtered the collection for you. And these are places you, you'll know and you can trust that we've been to all of them. We've actually stayed at all of them. So you know they're going to be great. And they are going to deliver you what you want in your holiday and more because that's the other thing. And you, you sort of mentioned it, that the expectation from a holiday is, is really high. And actually, in these times, people are, are wanting even more from their holiday. So um, because it's an investment and in, in whether that's traveling there or the, the accommodation, and it's also an investment in time. So whenever you take a holiday right now, um, your expectation of what it's going to deliver is is high. And, and again, that's that's kind of where we're going to hopefully be able to stay really competitive is by continually helping our owners to invest in improving the experience of a stay at one of our places. So, you know, whether that's, I don't know, adding a sauna or um, thinking about nature trail walks or well-being. Um, there's a huge range of things that can sit around a Canopy and Stars holiday and make it um, even better. I completely agree with that. I can see where that thinking comes from. Basically, I was thinking about this before the podcast, and I noticed when specifically with Airbnb, I think what happens is you people might view Airbnb more as just a middle person to get to get the destination booked. Essentially, there is the brand there is much lower on the pecking order, and therefore there is no stamp of approval on quality, which is why you'll often find if people are discussing booking an Airbnb, for example, the, the term that's often used is, oh, can you send me the link to that one? It's never, oh, I'll go and have a look on Airbnb then and see, because if that stays good, the rest must be. It's always, oh, send me the link to that. And um, I love the idea that you know Canopy and Stars isn't a case of, oh, can you just send me the link to that one? It's any any stay on Canopy and Stars is this like level of quality. I think that's excellent. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've always taken a lot of pride and pleasure in seeing is, is the level of loyalty of our guests and that the quality of experience will be very different and, and people are looking for different things. Special means different things to different people, but there is something special about all of our places and lots of things that are special about them and that um, someone can stay in a £400 a night treehouse yet also still really enjoy staying in a, in a more simple um, £100 a night cabin, let's say, because we know that that experience is going to deliver for them. And all of our marketing is uh, and the content that we put around places is really trying to sort of tease out what's special about a place to help someone to make sure that when they go there, it will be right for them. So it's less, it's not really geographical search. It's more about, um, you know, why a place is special. And lots of it, so it becomes less relevant about where in the country it's located. It's more around what you can do when you're there. 
And when I say what you can do when you're there, it's not. It's also not going to the local town necessarily. It's it's you know within the locality, within the immediate locality of that place. People very happily could spend three days just um, in their cabin, around their cabin, going for local walks, leaving their car. And in fact, you know, this is something we really want to push: is people traveling by public transport. And then once they're on that destination by foot or by bike and really sort of getting that sense of place and connection to somewhere. Because I think that's something that we will look for in a, in a holiday is wherever you might go in the world, you want to have that sense of place and really feel like you've um, you've landed somewhere and you've connected with it and you haven't just sort of drifted around um, in a sort of more superficial way. I hope you don't mind me saying this. From a lot of the answers you've given today, I get a strong sense of two key things that sort of shine through in your answers. And that is... Quality seems to be really important to you, and integrity seems to be really, really important to you. On that topic of integrity, one one of the things that we saw when we were researching for this episode was how interesting your share structure is. So one of the things that we saw was in place that 52% is owned by employees, 24% is for a charitable trust, and the other 24% is for the founding family. Um, that's obviously quite a rare uh, thing to hear about. Um, what was the thought process behind this? Why is that the case? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question. The desire to move to employee ownership is very much part of... So Alistair Sorday is the uh, co-founder of Canopy and Stars and the founder of Sordays, which is our sister company. So we're part of a group of companies, Sordays, Pause and Stay and Canopy and Stars. And um, Alistair founded Sordays. 30 years ago now. And um, it's always had purpose at its heart. And it's always been about um, supporting the independents and championing them and trying to sort of do business in in a better way. And um, his desire when leaving the company was to ensure that legacy and to to make sure that those values, that, that the founding values of the company would last way beyond his lifetime and and, and others. Um, so Part of the move to employee ownership was to protect that um, legacy and to ensure it. So um, as an employee-owned business, we have deliberately set up so we can't be acquired by Booking.com or Airbnb or, or whoever else might like to uh, to acquire us. Um, we're employee-owned. The uh, 52% of the business, so the majority share of the business is with the co-owners. And, and they're a big part of the decision-making. So it's uh, it's been really fascinating. And um, I feel like we're really now starting to sort of feel the benefits of employee ownership. It's, it's quite a journey. It's quite a thing to move from an employee to a, to a co-owner. And everyone is equal. There's no hierarchy. There's, we're all equal co-owners, no matter what role you do in the company, how long you've been there, um, you're a co-owner. And it encourages everyone to think, obviously, as, as an owner, um, but to also think um, about what's best for the business in the long term, because we, we are co-owners, but we're sort of custodians of those shares. So if you leave the, the, the company, then you don't sell your shares or you, you can't retain them. You're a co-owner as long as you're in the company. And it's all designed to, to sort of make sure that we're making the right decisions for the right reasons for the long term and really recognising uh, the that business can and should be a force for good and that we as a, as a company have an important role to play in, in society and, and in our wider community. And, and, and I think employee ownership really helps that. It also, you know, there's lots of evidence to suggest that it creates stronger 
uh, more successful companies because of that level of engagement and and buy-in. It becomes less hierarchical. So lots of our decisions, um, there's lots of sort of consultation about the right things. It doesn't mean that we don't still have a board, we don't still have a leadership team, but key decisions around strategy um, and growth and and culture. The employee council um, has a huge part to play in all of that. And in fact, on our board, we have um, an employee council director. So at every single board meeting, the employees and the co-owners are represented um, much in the same way that we try to have a, you know, um, it's not an actual person, but um, we like to think that nature has a seat and the environment has a seat at our board as well. So when we're thinking about business decisions and growth, we're always thinking about uh, our sort of wider impact and whether that's in terms of society or, or, or the environment and, 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 and is this the right decision uh, for, for us and for um, the kind of business that we want to be. In principle, that sounds brilliant do you have a like is there a specific example like a really strong example of where that kind of setup has led to a really strong decision uh yeah i mean right now we're working on our five-year strategy for for the entire business i guess historically something like that would probably just be uh, decided amongst a, a small group of people um you know perhaps at you know, board level or leadership team level and then just communicated as in this is what we're doing Whereas the reality is, is that we um, seek input from across the business so that everyone feels like they're part of it. And there have been, it, it maybe is a slightly longer process, uh, but where we've got to right now is, is a much um, richer and more exciting vision for the future that I actually believe will, will, has the best chance of success because people have been part of it. It's not sort of being just sort of communicated down to them. So that would be one perhaps slightly bigger example. But then even things like, I don't know, uh, policies around sort of HR and benefits in the company, days, holidays, uh, you know, well-being days, all of these kind of things. Um, a lot of that comes from the um, co-owners in terms of, you know, what's the kind of culture that we want to create as a business? And that's not really for a, necessarily a leadership team or a board to decide. The co-owners need to decide that because it's their company. It's everyone's. It's our company, all of ours. And I just wanted to move on to some potential defining moments for you throughout either your your personal life or through throughout the lifespan of Canopy and Stars. Are there any big moments that you think if that hadn't have happened, we wouldn't be where we are today? Well, I think I think sort of just almost going back to one of your questions or actually there's a few threads when you talked about um how we stay relevant and what some of the things that have, you know helped us to be successful and and i i talked about building a brand and the importance of I, I guess sort of standing out and things like that so there was um if i cast back about five years ago i was in an, a, a meeting uh, in the office in central bristol and uh, we were sort of thinking about um how we could amplify you know, we're a small, we're a relatively small brand and business. Have a have a, a decent sized following on social media and things now, and um, you know, we're, we're we're certainly, I think, doing some good work there. But we we were always sort of mindful of trying to be ambitious and trying to be creative and to really stand out. And so we had this idea to create a a, a treehouse in a crane. Uh, it's an industrial crane in central Bristol, and this crane uh, exists. It, we're in, we're on the harbour side in Bristol, so it's something that we see every day outside of our window. And we were thinking about how could we how could we create almost like a sort of PR type stunt or something? And then it was just there. I was just looking at this crane and thinking, that's it. We should build a treehouse in that crane. And we did. And that was um, probably at the time a massive distraction. If we'd properly sort of looked at, you know, the cost and time and, and the 
dress and, and everything else that went into it, we'd probably have never done it. Um, but it was a huge amount of fun. It brought the team together. It had an amazing impact. People still talk about the the, the, the crane today uh, in Bristol. Huge footfall. I think we, we added it up once and it, it achieved, I think it was something like £2 million worth of advertising value through doing this. We, we were on BBC Two and um, George Clark's Amazing Spaces and things like that. So it, had, it was one of those sort of moments um, where I think that that did really sort of put us on the map in terms of awareness and, and certainly a lot of bigger other brands started to take notice of us. And, and I think it was just one of those examples of, of really, uh, and we try to do this, is try to really bring our values uh, to life and our, and our proposition to life. And part of that is about being creative and taking risks and, um, and doing something that's perhaps a little bit unexpected and always trying to uh, punch above our weight, be creative and I guess sort of pull some deals and just make something happen. Uh, and, you know, when it would be easy to say no to things like that, but I think that one of our, our sort of lessons is that you've got to continually create time for dreaming big and, and playing with ideas and then actually backing them and making them happen. What would you say is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned over your career that you could pass on to a listener, for example? Yeah, um, I think for me, and hopefully this has come through in a lot of the things we, we've talked about, it would be always stay true to the purpose. Um, there'll be moments when you yeah, you probably feel like there's other distractions, but you've always got to keep that purpose in mind. I mean, otherwise, frankly, what is the point? And, uh, and I think it's the thing that binds you together. It's the thing that makes you relevant. It's, uh, yeah, it's what sets you apart. It should be the thing that's always pulling you forward to something that's uh, of value. And, and, and when I say value, I, I don't mean sort of financial, I mean uh, along all sorts of lines, you know, socially, environmentally. Um, and that's, you know, that's how we stay relevant. And I think when we talk about being relevant, it's not just about what's our average booking about, you know, are we, are we growing commercially? How do we stay relevant to our guests? Well, that's, that's also recognising um, what, what does a relevant business mean to our consumers, to our guests? And I think that's, that's shifting. It's not just about providing amazing holidays. It's, it's about standing up and, uh, and standing for something and actually sort of leading by example, I suppose. Uh, I think that's what people expect of businesses. And so, you know, we're, we see that with the platform we have, we have a lot of opportunity to, um, to influence change and to, to hopefully uh, show that business can be a force for good and that, you know, that we, we can uh, create better travel and in a better working environment or whatever else it might be. So because we have that opportunity, we, we really think we have a responsibility. And so a lot of effort as a, as a business goes into thinking about that. And um, we now have an impact and sustainability manager. So we're, we're putting a lot of focus on thinking about what a relevant business really means and what leadership really means as a business. You kind of answered a, a, a part of this question. Uh, in in your last answer, but do you have any principles for success that could be usable or actionable by anyone that's listening? If I go back to you know part of our success is this community that I feel we've created with our owners and our guests, and that is about being generous and kind and respectful, and and I think that um, those are kind of like our personal values and principles, and I think that you know living your your real self living your values as a brand, but as a person in, in, in how you go about your work and um, how you treat others and how you expect to be treated yourself. I think that um, if we have that kind of more human focused approach, I think it's people will naturally feel 
that they want to be part of it. And whether that's someone working in the business or, or a guest or an owner, they want to be part of something because it feels like it's it's offering something of value. And that could just be a, a relationship and a connection. So I feel um, I, I really try to instill this idea of living our values and um, yeah, and, and I guess trying things. Um, I, we've tried a lot of things, not, not clearly not all of it's worked, um, but we're not afraid of that. Um, we really do try to test and learn and, and uh, you know, the idea of sort of failing happy and that everyone's encouraged to, to, to come up with ideas and empowered to actually make them happen. Excellent. And the final question from me, Tom, is uh, it's about people. It's about people that you might rely on in business or people that you know that have helped. Um, we've found that speaking to a lot of uh, business founders now that a lot of the time they'll have a black book of significant people that they've had to rely on or you know choose to rely on uh, for specific reasons, be it support or advice or guidance that has been really helpful, not just to them, but the business that they've founded. Is there anyone or are there any people in your life and in your business um, that have been really in, in influential or impactful, be it for guidance or advice or any any other reason? Well, I'd, I'd have to say um, Alistair, uh, so Alistair Sorday and Toby Sorday, who I worked with for a long time at, at, at Sorday's. I try to take uh, advice and inspiration from all sorts of different people. And I really do believe in you know, diversity of thought and experience and mindset is uh, comes from so surrounding yourself with good people and a range of different people. And then obviously, um, I'd have to say um, my family as well. Um, this has very much been a, a personal uh, journey for my entire family. I mean, a lot of the early days were spent driving around France or wherever it might be, meeting owners. Like in any business, I think that um, family provide a huge amount of, um, might not be on the payroll, but they're, they're massively important parts of any business. Brilliant. Well, Tom, I think that's a really good place to end the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, Tom. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure. It's lovely chatting to you both. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Founders. If you liked the content in this podcast, you can get new content from a new founder every week by following us on all podcast apps.